I'm just going to jump right into uh, our content uh, for the day for today. So, if you have a Bible, would you turn to Second Corinthians eight and verses one to nine? And Second Corinthians eight verses one to nine. This is what it says. Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. They did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your faith and your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And we'll end just there this morning. So over the last six weeks or so, um, we have been in a series uh, called Devoted, uh, and we've been unpacking some of the spiritual disciplines, the, the holy habits and, and the rhythms uh, that help to form us deeply uh, as we try and walk in the way of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've found this to be uh, a really amazing but a really challenging series too. So far, we've looked at abiding in Jesus, reading scripture, silence and solitude, prayer and fasting. And last week, Dave talked about the importance of Sabbath. And this morning, uh, we are in the penultimate part of this series, and we're, we're looking at the theme of radical generosity. And uh, before, before Dave sent, uh, or before we, we launched into this theme, Dave sent through to us the, the, the theme and uh, gave us a bit of an idea of what we were going to be looking at. And he said if we wanted to pick one that we kind of wanted to speak on, and, and this one kind of jumped out at me. I, I saw the, the, the title of Radical Generosity, and I thought, yeah, I'll, that one seems pretty good. I'll do that. Well, I hadn't, I hadn't looked at the passage, and I, a top tip, if he asks you to speak on anything, make sure you look at the passage first, because if I knew that I was volunteering myself to speak about money, I probably would have thought twice, because money and the church has often been an uncomfortable conversation. If we're honest, we don't really like it uh, when the church talks about money. I remember uh, inviting some of the church once, and um, after a bit of back and forth and them not coming and then uh, kind of being hesitant about coming, they finally decided that they would. And it just so happened that that was the week that we were talking about money. I mean, could we not just talk about anything else, something a little nicer than this? God's love, his forgiveness, grace, anything, anything other than money. 
Because money and the church has often been an uncomfortable conversation. And I guess I want to say from the outset that I get it. I get the passages like this are often uncomfortable. But if this teaching series has taught us anything, has taught me anything, it's that we have to grapple with all that Scripture has to say and remember that even in the difficult parts, the uncomfortable parts, that God always has something to say to us. And that is especially true of the passage that we just read. So here we have the Apostle Paul, and he's, he's writing to the Corinthians, uh, the church of Corinth, um, and they are a wealthy and a prosperous church. And he writes to them about giving. And I think um, before uh, we go any further, that it's really important that we um, familiarize ourselves with the context in which Paul is writing and the context of Paul's interaction with the Corinthians to this point. So very briefly, uh, Paul had, had written several letters to the Corinthians. Uh, our Bibles only account for two of those, first and second Corinthians. But we knew that there was at least one other letter that was written before first Corinthians that was historically lost. And it was in this lost letter that Paul addresses the topic, and probably other topics as well, but he, he addressed the topic of Money, And he asked the Corinthians to raise funds for the church in Jerusalem, who had been hit hard by famine and war and persecution. And then the Corinthians then respond to that lost letter uh, with some questions um, and some things that they wanted explained, to which then Paul replies with what we know to be 1 Corinthians. And it's on the topic of money that Paul responds in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 4, saying these words. Now, regarding your question, which would have been in response to the lost letter, now regarding your question about money being collected for God's people in Jerusalem, you should follow the same procedure I gave to the churches in Galatia. On the first day of the week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and try and collect it all at once. So he had previously asked them to uh, collect money for the churches in Jerusalem. But somewhere in between the time that he asks them to do that in the lost letter to the passage that we're in this morning, that giving had stopped. And you see, Paul had quite a rocky relationship with the Corinthians. They pretty much disagreed with everything that he tried to tell them. Gordon Fee uh, writes this about Paul and the Corinthians. A careful reading of 1 Corinthians suggests that he and they, at least many of them, are at odds on every single issue. They have either misunderstood or deliberately misinterpreted an earlier letter from him that prohibited certain vices and have written to tell him why they think they are right and why he is wrong. So the Corinthians, who have become quite a hostile bunch largely disagree with Paul on every single issue. And they begin to challenge him and they push back at him and they challenge his authority. And eventually they just kind of go off and do their own thing. And one of the things that they decide to do is to stop uh, collecting money for the churches in Jerusalem. And then fast forward about two years um, and after lots of back and forth and uh, Paul going to see them and then sending other people um, to go and see them on his behalf. Um, 
he finds out that they have repented of their ways and he's he's so delighted and he and he writes to them to say that in the letter that we um, are reading this morning and just just before that in in second corinthians 7 8 and 9 paul writes that i am not sorry that i sent that severe letter to you though i was sorry at first for i knew it was painful for you for a little while now i'm glad i sent it not because it hurt you but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways so Paul is delighted with how the Corinthians have changed their ways. And in the passage that we read this morning, he reminds them of how they used to give um, and they used to support the church in Jerusalem. And he challenges them to re-begin contributing to that work. And not only does he challenge them to give, but he also uses an example. And he uses the example of the Macedonian church, uh, who had not only set a standard of generosity, but had given so much that Paul himself was astonished at just how generous they were. And there's just two things that, that I want to look at this morning uh, to help us see why and how radical generosity roots us as followers of Jesus and why we should be a people of radical generosity. And they are unity and love. And the first is unity. So Paul is is thrilled with the Corinthians that they've changed their ways and and he challenges them to respond by recommencing their collection for for the churches in Jerusalem. And as he does this, he points out uh, the example of the Macedonians. And historically, the Macedonians uh, would have been under quite a lot of uh, threat. The Macedonian was conquered by uh, Alexander the Great um, and the Romans had stolen pretty much all of their wealth. So they'd become a pretty extreme, uh, um, extremely poor uh, people, and especially the Christians in Macedonia. But even still, they choose to be a people marked by generosity. And this is Paul's account of their response. Verses 2 to 5 again in the passage we, we read this morning. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. For the first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. And what the Macedonian churches are doing in their extreme acts um, of kindness and generosity is showing a deep unity between them and the churches in Jerusalem. And and sharing resource um, and money was not a foreign ideology to the New Testament church. We see that in the birth of the church in Acts. We see that it is a church marked by generosity. Acts 2, 44 and 45 say this, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. So right from the beginning of the Christian church, we see that generosity is a, is a hallmark of what it means to be 
a person and a people living in the way of Jesus. And this is such an emphasis for Paul because he knows that generosity is one of the things that will build unity. And this desire for unity among the churches is, is one, of, uh, one of the biggest influences on Paul's ministry. He so longed for unity between both Jews and Gentiles that no matter who you were, whether you were male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, circumcised or not, that if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, then you are part of one body. And that body is the church. N.T. Wright uh, says this about the passage that we just read. He, Paul, wants them, the Corinthians, to share in the great project he has at hand, demonstrating to the Gentiles uh, that they are part of the same family as the Jewish Christians. And still, more importantly, demonstrating to the Jerusalem church that those strange, uncircumcised Gentiles who, like them, have come to believe in Jesus as Messiah our fellow members with them in God's renewed people. Paul is so passionate about unity and he urges the Corinthians to fund raise not, um, not as this sort of blind uh, fundraising exercise, but he urges them that as they raise money and they give towards the Jerusalem church that they are establishing godly uni- unity in the church. This act of generosity does not just practically help the Jerusalem church, but it unites a Jewish church and a Gentile church. And they would have been two churches who would have probably differed in quite a lot of things. And you know, something that I learned, I guess, that I was really challenged on as I prepared for today is that generosity is a worldview. But just as much as generosity is a worldview, so too is selfishness. And we have the opportunity to decide which worldview we're going to hold. I don't know about you, but um, everything that's kind of went on um, in the last year, uh, I've kind of found that it's been so easy just to become insular. Uh, You know, to just look within, to keep my, my eyes on my stuff and on my needs, to keep my head down and just get through all of this in the hope that when I get out the other side, I will still have control of all of my stuff. But that's not how we're to conduct ourselves as followers of Jesus. In fact, we are to live fully counter to this. Really quickly, I want to just drop into a few verses in Deuteronomy uh, to help us understand what I'm saying. And in Deuteronomy 15, 7 to 11, and Moses is, is preparing the Israelites um, as they're about to enter into the promised land. And this is what he says to them. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land the Lord has promised you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year of cancelling debts is close at hand. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. For the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely 
with the poor and give to those other Israelites in need. And Moses is doing something really intentional here with, uh, with the language and the words that he's using. Uh, the Israelites, if you know the story, have, have come through uh, living under uh, as slaves under Pharaoh's Egyptian empire. And if, and if you know the story, every time Moses went to, to Pharaoh to ask him to free them, he hardened his heart and he said no. And Moses uses the exact same phrase here. He says, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. And when the people heard that, it would have been like a trigger moment, you know, that they would have been transported back to when they were, being, when they were enslaved um, in, in Egypt. And equally, when he says, if you refuse to make a loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, you will be considered guilty of sin. And again, that phrase, when a needy person cries out, when he uses that, he's reminding them that they used to be the people, the needy people who cried out to the Lord. So Moses is saying, if, uh, if some among you are in need and, and you're hard-hearted or you're tight-fisted, then you're no different than Pharaoh. And you see, when our hearts are hardened, we use our resource for ourselves. We use it for our own gain. And the Corinthians had become guilty of this. They'd fallen out with Paul in the past, and their hearts had become hard. And they were only concerned about doing their own thing. And that, that for me, has been one of the challenges of the last year has thrown up. It's just been so much easier to just focus in and be so, so much more concerned about my own stuff, about my own resource. But we are called to be radically generous, just like the Macedonians who gave away anyway, even in their great need. And as we, we do that, we bring a godly unity to the body of Christ as we begin to bridge the gap between the church as a whole and between the church and the world. Generosity builds unity. I used to work in an Eason's store uh, before coronavirus killed it, of course, um, at least up here in Northern Ireland anyway. And, and there was this time when I, when I worked for them and uh, they were trying to reestablish their values and, and the values of what it meant to be an Eason's employee. Um, and we had, the, we had to go to these training sessions and, kind of fill out all these forms and all this sort of stuff. It was all a wee bit odd, but I remember going to um, one of my shifts uh, around that time, and, and as I arrived to, to the store, I, I went at the back and I sort of took my coat off and, you know, signed in and all that sort of stuff. And there were these horrific, like, I mean, awful posters all over the wall. Uh, and these posters, like, awfully designed, awful colours. They were a, a total disaster. But they were, they were posters and they were all over the wall and they, they had these 10 words um, listed on them and they were, these were the new values of what it meant to be an Eason's employee. And they said things like integrity and compassion and commitment and all these, all these you know, lovely things. And uh, There was about 10 of them, as, as I said, and I really remember, I remember it so clearly um, that unity was one of the words on these posters, and one of my colleagues turned to me and says, what is all this? Is this a church? Because unity was always meant to be associated with the church, just like compassion and patience, and, you know, kindness and all them other great things were as well. 
unity was always meant to be associated with the church. And radical generosity is one of the ways that we will begin to build unity in the church. This is why Paul is urging the Corinthians to begin collecting money again for the churches in Jerusalem. When we are generous with our money and our resource, we play a part in creating a unity in the church, in revealing God's kingdom to the world around us. So radical generosity, firstly, it builds unity, but secondly, it is a response to and an act of love. And that's the second thing I want to focus on this morning, love. And love is not static. Um, if you've read the Five Love Languages book or you've done the test uh, that Gary Chapman had, has written, um, he, he writes um, that uh, there's five main lo- love languages and um, you, can, you can do the test and figure out which one is most suited to you. But they are words of affirmation, gifts, quality time, acts of service and physical touch. And no matter which love language best suits you, they all require some sort of action. They're all directional. They're not static. And when love and generosity take their purest and truest forms, they become this cyclical byproduct of each other. So when we love, we act with generosity. And when we are generous, we show love. One because becomes the byproduct of the other. During my uh, time in in university, during between my second year and my third year, I went on my university placement, and I went to Canada uh, to work for a church out there. And uh, while I was there, I was I was living with a family who went to the church that I've been placed in. And if you don't know, or if you've never been to Canada, um, there's a Tim Hortons like. There's Tim Hortons everywhere. No matter where you go, no matter which town you're in, there will always be a Tim Hortons somewhere. And quite often there was one near near the the, uh, the family's house that that we lived and near the church that, that I worked in. And uh, we would go sort of you know we go quite quite often, but we would go on a Sunday morning through the drive-through, and um, on our way to church as we were you know going in for an early sign check or or whatever else. And, um, there was, there was one day we, we went just as normal and, and we kind of all placed our, our order and we ordered our coffee and whatever. And as we got to the window at the end of, um, of the, the, the drive-through, uh, the girl behind the tail said, oh, you, get, you guys don't need to worry. And the people in front of you have paid for your coffee this morning. And I was floored. Like, I was so shocked. I couldn't get over how generous that person or th- those people were, whoever they were. I couldn't get over how generous they had been and so we kind of you know scrambled our, our money together and, and and then paid for the people then behind us to pay it forward because when we love we act generously and when we are generous we show love love is not static it moves and love shapes our priorities doesn't it it shapes our Priorities. We see this from the Macedonian churches who were so passionate about giving, even in their own need. Here's what Paul writes again about the, the Macedonians. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. 
They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and then to us, just as God had asked them to do. These were people who had fully embraced the great commandment. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord. That was their priority. They didn't just give because they felt it was the right thing to do or if they had to or um, you know, they'd started giving and they felt like they'd been bounded by some unwritten contract that they had to keep giving. No. They gave because their first priority was firstly to give themselves to the Lord, to commit themselves to him. It was love that shaped their priority. And we see this in the character of God himself. God being a God of love acts with such radical generosity towards us. John 3.16, one of the most famous, if not the most famous verse in all of scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave because he loved. And this was the model that the Macedonians followed. They were so committed to God that they knew that they had to be generous with their money because they were the recipients of a, a radical generosity that Jesus showed for them in taking on their sin and liberating them to live a life in the fullest form, even in their poverty and the persecution. What a challenge. And Paul tells us this as he urges the Corinthians to have the same perspective. He writes, you know the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus' generosity was and continues to be demonstrated by his unending love and his unending grace. He was at the right hand of the Father in all of his glory, yet he took on human flesh. He became a man, probably homeless, fully human, in order to fulfill God's redemptive purpose for the world, for you and for me. Jesus gave us everything. He gave us his whole life. So in return, we are to give him all of ourselves. We are to give ourselves to the Lord and to the world, just as the Macedonians did. And that includes our money and our finance. And you know, Jesus never strayed from the money conversation. You know, he wasn't awkward about it like we are. In fact, he was, he was pretty straight up about it, actually. Scholars reckon that one in every four of Jesus' sermons were about money and possessions. Could you imagine if once a month, one in every four of our sermons here at Central were about money? Like, you probably wouldn't be tuning in this morning. But radical generosity was incredibly important to Jesus, not because he needs our money, but because generosity is ultimately a heart issue. And Jesus is way more interested in our heart than anything else. 
And in his sermon on the Mount, he addresses this very issue. He says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Jesus is way more interested in our heart than our bank balance. Than anything else, it is our heart that is the ultimate treasure. And if our priority is to just accumulate stuff and and money and resource for ourselves, then we subsequently close our hearts off to the fullness of what it means to be a radical disciple of Jesus. And all that ever happens is we just end up chasing the next thing. And we never stop. And ultimately, we probably just end up discontented, dissatisfied, and probably quite empty. We are called to be radically different. While the world tells us that we need the next, the next thing, as, our, you know, as these ads pop up on our television and, and on our phones through Facebook and everything that we're using... And the world tells us that we need this next thing. And the world is just trying to build its own empire with resource and stuff and and accumulation. While the world seeks to build its empire, we are called to build the kingdom of God. And that does not look like storing up stuff and money and resource for ourselves, but actively giving it away for the sake of other people. As we respond to the love that Jesus has for us, we in turn should love the world around us by how we give. You know, over the last sort of 18 months to two years um, or so, I have found that um, a particular verse has come back to me time and time again. And, you know, every time I, I you know, see or I read of some sort of tragedy in the church or uh, I read of some misrepresentation of who we know Jesus to be, or or we see, uh, you know, thousands of people storm the Capitol building in the name of Jesus. You know, something grieves deep in my spirit. And the verse that has come back to me so very often is quite a well-known verse in John thirteen thirty-five, when Jesus is addressing the topic of loving other people, and this is what he says. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for the world, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not your worship, not your buildings, not your stages or your lights, not your sermons, not your politics, not your bank balance, but your love. What if our love for God and his kingdom was the sole priority? What if our love for him was the priority? And what if that priority was the catalyst for us loving those around us with a a radical generosity, with giving our money away and our resource and our time just away to people who need it for the sake of his kingdom? You know, a few weeks ago, and we had our 
our central leadership hangout. And one of the questions asked was, you know, if you heard two people having a conversation about central, what would you hope to hear? What have we heard people saying? They are people who prioritize loving God. They are people who are radically generous. As John Tyson, John Tyson writes, we need to be a people marked by financial promiscuity. What if people were to say that we are promiscuous with our money, we just give it away all the time? What if that was the fruit of our love? Radical generosity is way more than just behavior modification. It's about our heart and it's about rethinking how we engage with the world around us. It's about unity, being one with the church and bridging the gap between the church and the world. And how do we do that? Well, it's by our love, by responding to the love that Jesus has for us, by recommitting ourselves again to him and loving those around us, by being a people who are radically generous, promiscuous with our money for the sake of others. Just as I uh, begin to wrap up uh, this morning, I want to finish with just a few practical ways uh, that we can begin to practice radical generosity this week. All the information um, will drop into your email if you're on our mailing list. Uh, if you're not, just get in, in, in touch with us and we'll add you to that. But all the, the further information will drop into your email uh, tonight. But just four things that I think can really help us to, to think about how we can begin to practice radical generosity in our lives, and, and these, these are them. So just firstly, start small and start with what you do have. You know, once, you know, so often, you know, I've heard this, this conversation and, and, and the topic of money being discussed in the church and it almost feels overwhelming, but it doesn't need to be. As I've mentioned, this is, this is not about our money. This is about our heart. And it's about our priority to love. So start with what, you do have and go from there. Just after the passage we read this morning, Paul goes on to say these words, whatever you give, it is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So start with what you have, your finance, your time, your resource, and start there, but give it eagerly. Secondly, uh, just look for opportunities to give. This might seem quite obvious, um, but, but seek them out. They are, there is need everywhere. And, you know, um, sometimes I feel that it's really easy because there is just so much need that we just become numb to it, you know, and we don't even know where to start, so we probably don't. But seek the Lord. Ask him, where do you want to give? Where do you want me to give my money to and my resource? Maybe as you're practicing uh, prayer and fasting, um, I seek the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to highlight a people or um, a, a group or a charity or something to give towards. Thirdly, um, and, and probably a little more practically, uh, you could give to our storehouse, our storehouse monthly collection. Uh, and one of the ways uh, that you can do that this month is, is by giving uh, pasta sauce uh, on our behalf. We can't collect here at church like we normally would under these lockdown circumstances, but 
uh, they open their warehouse uh, twice a week on a, on a Tuesday night and a Thursday morning uh, for us to just go and drop stuff off. They have a contactless drop-off point there where you can do that. All the information of, of where uh, the warehouse is and the opening times will all be in the email later tonight. And, and I guess one of the things too with that is um, I find myself being challenged, challenged on on, on what, what I buy when, I, when I'm collecting for that. And the, the temptation is just to get the cheapest thing. But maybe the next time you're out and you're doing your Tesco shop, get the more expensive stuff, the stuff that you would want to eat yourself and give that. And as I said, all the information will be in the email later, but maybe you could begin um, by, by donating some pasta sauce uh, to Storehouse this month. And, and finally, maybe this is a moment in your life, uh, a marker in the sand where you can begin to give more consistently. Maybe that's through tithing with us here at church, or maybe, maybe there's a charity that's close to your heart that you want to begin to support. You know, creating a space for consistent giving reminds us that we were never made uh, to hoard our own stuff and our own resource. But as we consistently give our money and our resource away, we allow our hearts to be molded and shaped by Jesus. And he is the one who gives freely, consistently to us every single day. And I believe we are to do the same. So start small and start with what you do have. Seek out opportunities to give. Maybe you could give towards our monthly collection this month to Storehouse with some pasta sauce. Or maybe this is a moment for you to begin to give more consistently um, in your life. Those are just some of the ways that I believe that can maybe begin um, to help us to spearhead some, some radical generosity in our lives. You know, radical generosity builds unity and it is our response to God's love for us. Let us be a community who are known for being radically generous.